Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes if you're not doing your due diligence to really dig at why that is important for you to lose weight and really examine those other areas of your life, you're not going to get to your goal. You're not going to be successful. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at LessStressNutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, so today we have my old friend and colleague, Emily Field, who's a registered dietitian that teaches, she's actually like the boss in this area, teaches really this mindful macros approach to help women ditch nonsense food rules and depriving diet behaviors for good. Her clients are finding it liberating to focus on how much they can do instead of how much they weigh when they fuel and support their body appropriately. And we are chatting about kind of that um, a little bit of the emotional piece or like the most important piece, which is really how you also accept your body and then also want to change it at the same time. So let's jump into it. Welcome, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So Emily, I should have pulled this. I'll pull it before we're done with our conversation. She has been on the podcast, I think once, maybe even twice before. She'll be on three times before we're done here, but she's got some great (laughs) topics. If you don't follow her on Instagram and you are on that area and you're interested in anything macros or this no-nonsense approach that she has, which is really totally her personality too. Like (laughs) no crap from this girl (laughs) at all. So Emily, give us a little bit of background. Like how did you get to where you are now? I think that's going to be a nice segue into how this topic kind of plays into that as well. I think we mentioned just briefly off air, like even in our careers and how we help people, we make some transitions. And that's what I see this topic kind of being. It's really relevant to us in our space and it's a new thing we're seeing. So anyway, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that there is a large movement of people and practitioners that would say, you know, and it might be the backlash of maybe the 90s and early 2000s of seeing magazines and people in movies and people in shows are super, super, super thin. And so having a societal pressure to be as lean and lanky as possible, the rubber band, maybe boomerang effect of that is the exact opposite, which is accept your body exactly where it is, you know, love yourself exactly where you are, don't want to change anything. It's bad to change anything about your body. And I think that there's room for a healthy gray in the middle of those two extremes. So one extreme being that 
diet culture would say, you know, you are not good the way that you are. You must want to change. You need to be thinner. You need to be this shape, this size, X, Y, Z. And the other side being, you know, don't change at all. You are healthy, happy, lovable, just the way that you are. And wanting to change is bad. Like I said, I think that there is a healthy gray area. And I would say that working with clients really pulled that out of me because I saw these people that were dissatisfied with where they were, right where they were, like motivated to change, but coming at it from a very loving place. Because I'm not sure if you see this too, but as a practitioner, like you know that you have to change a lot of things about someone's environment internally and externally in order to see change in their health. And you have to do that with care and love and respect for yourself, not from a place of like hate and loathing, you know, and get in order to get yourself through all of those changes. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And it's a breath of fresh air. Because as you just stated, there's a healthy place in between like the shaming of you need to change something. And then the other side, like you said, which is you shouldn't like diet culture completely sucks. Like I think clients are our best teachers very frequently, like how (laughs) things are changing, how things are improving, how things are not improving. We learn from that. But I love that you learned the right way or the positive way you settled on this from seeing your clients also loving their bodies, which I think we like can continue to improve. I never thought I didn't necessarily like my body, but I've come to a new place of really love more recently. And I think we can always improve in this place. So I just appreciate the gray area because on social media, I see a very big like split down the middle, right? Which is either you're not good enough, which is a really old school mentality, honestly, right? Let's lose, lose, lose. Like you need to just keep like, it's not, I think people are sick of hearing it, honestly. Mm -hmm. But then the opposite is so much the other way, it just feels almost uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. people are now starting (laughs) to speak about the gray area. But I don't know what we're gonna how we define that exactly. So let's talk about what happens before people get to that self love place, right? Because there's always room to improve. So as you said before, it's not productive if people are you know, beating themselves up. And it comes out really strongly when you're working with someone one on one. I'm like, oh, I'm really sensing that there's mm-hmm. body love and body confidence issues. And that's going to ultimately hinder the mm-hmm. big picture and just your general happiness. Something mm-hmm. I haven't said as much more recently, but I always think there's like you can boil down most stuff to emotions, happiness, and fear. And so we mm-hmm. want to obviously be one and not the other usually. Mm-hmm. So how does someone know if their goals are coming from a place of not liking themselves or self-love? How do you, find you know, I think it, yeah, no, I think it comes down to listening to your self-talk. So if I'm talking about how a person would look inside themselves and understand is my weight loss goal or my body composition change goal. The reason why I'm hiring this nutritionist, you know, is that coming from a place of I hate the way I look, I hate the way I feel, and I want to do something about it. Or it's like, I know I can do better. I think it is all in your self talk. So starting to listen to your self talk. And as a practitioner, if I was listening to this and wanting to maybe feel the right clients for me, or maybe the right client for a therapist, it'd be in the way the clients answer questions on your health assessment, really digging out what is the reason why you want to lose 10, 20, 30 pounds, like, but really why, like really, really digging underneath that. So if you're hearing things like, you know, in your self-talk or in your client's talk, that is, you know, I want to live a longer and healthier life. I want to be able to do more and I want to feel more and experience more and like have a fuller life and maybe weight loss is tied to that. That's one thing. But if it's the other, you know, the other end of the spectrum might be like, you think your life is going to be dramatically different when you lose weight or that you will be a different person if you lose weight. And obviously I'm using weight loss as like the end goal because it is very common for people to shrink, want to shrink in order to feel differently. But 
certainly the goal could be anything. It could be, you know, fat loss or weight gain or you know something else. It's the intention behind it and the way that you talk to yourself about that goal and the reason behind that goal that becomes so important. Something we didn't explicitly mention was that part of the reason the divide feels so significant, I feel, is because we do have research that shows that being at this healthy weight does decrease the risk of certain significant diseases, right? There are things people do not want, right? So we have this, right? And then we have the opposite. So I just wanted to point that out. Like, it's okay to have both. But what about goals that are purely vanity driven? What would you say about that? Because that sometimes is the thing that people lead with, right? So Mm -hmm. what do you say to people that do have goals that are like, okay, is it okay to have goals that are just vanity driven, for example? I absolutely think you can have goals that are purely vanity driven. I think I would take the stance that I would take in other health issues or, you know, health spheres, which would be that it's your body and you can do whatever you want with it. But, you know, I would always challenge a person to think bigger about what they want out of that weight loss or that vanity reason. Like, what does it mean to them? What does losing 10, 20, 30 pounds mean to them? And try to really make them think about that. Because just like I said earlier, it's like all the changes that need to happen in order to see weight loss you know, your nutrition, your eating pattern, your home environment, your social environment, your exercise routine, your discipline, maybe your internal self-talk, like that all takes work. So if you're not doing your due diligence to really dig at why that is important for you to lose weight and really examine those other areas of your life, you're not going to get to your goal. You're not going to be successful. And ultimately, my goal as a practitioner is to get you there and to be successful. And so if you don't have a solid understanding about why you want to lose that X number of pounds, and it really is just wrapped up in X number of pounds, like you're not going to get very far. Like that's not going to take you past all the challenge and hurdles that are going to come your way on your way towards that, that weight loss goal. If you're unhappy with how you feel in general, you may not ever reach that goal, essentially, right? That's absolutely true. (laughs) So what I run into sometimes is people who are really struggling with body love, they're coming from, I mean, let's just say diet culture standpoint, right? Like they've got that history of, I can think of multiple examples here, but like there's a long history of negative voice telling them like, you've got to do this. You've got to, you know, eat more or eat less and exercise more, which we'll talk about more next time, right? Or you've got to do (laughs) this to work or you've got to do this. Like they just haven't had someone building them up. I mean, it could be very simple. Like maybe someone never gave you compliments or you felt like the compliments were only tied to X, Y, Z. That may be a true statement too. They may have been because sometimes people compliment (laughs) at the wrong time. They don't know what you're necessarily going through. My point here is if people have had the longstanding issue, which I suppose, why would it not be a longstanding issue, right? Why would it not be a lifetime issue that you don't love your body or you're not like happy with how it looks, etc. How long, essentially, I know this is going to vary, but like, it takes a while, it takes years to turn like, essentially kind of mindsets around. What have you seen? And who do you add to that? I know you've mentioned therapists, but like, who do you always say like, hey, we should get more people on your care team here to help with that? Or like, how do you approach that in practice? And how do you set up people's expectations for moving toward more body love? Sometimes people are extremely self-aware and they can see very clearly, maybe with the help of me or someone else in their life, really point like poking holes in, you know, this is not normal. The way that you talk about yourself is not normal. And some people will take it upon themselves to do all the work on their own books, podcasts, journaling, therapy, whatever it might be, whatever they have access to, whatever really resonates with them they'll get to work on it. And it can be within the time that we work together that I see an extreme shift. And that's amazing. But for other people, it takes a lot longer. And I think you're right. It's just like, how deep does this go? 
you know, how rooted in past traumas or relationships, you'll be, you know, I'm sure everyone like listening can understand that this like body image issues and self acceptance issues, self esteem issues are really rooted in lots and lots and lots of layers of stuff. So sometimes it's like, it's not going to be a quick fix. But I think, you know, part of working with clients, like, you know, I obviously work with, you know, on nutrition with people, but we never stop talking about ways to channel that self talk and how to work on the way that you talk to yourself interrupting that cycle of self talk. And sometimes that's enough from my perspective to instruct them to do some journaling or to get some books or to listen to podcasts and things like that, whatever they however they like to learn, but sometimes it's not enough. And so I am recommending like getting another person on the care team to really, really work on this because ultimately it does impact the success of my work with them. And I want to be extremely successful with them. I want them to achieve their goals. So we got to get get somebody else on the care team in order for, to make that happen. Yeah. Us Enneagram threes really, yeah. <laughs> really want to see. Prog- yeah. We just really want to <laughs> yeah. see things happen for that person. So there's a lot of providers that listen to this podcast, a lot of savvy people from their standpoint, I feel like what we can do what they can do, what anyone can do, a family, a friend, a practitioner is be supportive of that self-love. So in the way you said, it's not normal for you to talk about your body this way. Let's change the narrative. Like someone, Mm -hmm. someone needs to give that person initial permission usually, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a common thing. That could be me. That could be you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that for my own turning points in my life, someone has sometimes just needed to give me permission at the right time to say it's okay to do this. And then it's like, okay, now it is okay. You know, it feels not that our happiness should be hinged on another person. That's a a dangerous thing that I see happening (laughs) all the time, right? Like we tie our happiness to that, but it, it feels good when someone else is also saying, Hey, like, it's okay to do this or feel this way instead of that way. So I think just in general, being supportive, even in a body neutral way, right? Or now is maybe a good time to point this out because I don't think this is super mainstream. But something that I hear more and more providers talking about is that like, please don't give people compliments just when they're losing weight. Like try not to make Mm -hmm. the compliments based around appearance necessarily, right? Or like Mm -hmm. body composition appearance, because Mm -hmm. it kind of reinforces sometimes a negative thing. Like if someone has gotten Mm -hmm. there in a not necessarily great way for them, it kind Mm -hmm. of reinforces like, oh, well, this really sucked and I'm starving, but so-and-so thinks I look good. So like, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's warped. That's what we started this conversation with. How do you recognize your own self-talk? Because it can be a little warped. You know, maybe you don't even know your intentions. It'll be a really great exercise for you to maybe really dig underneath the surface about what your intentions are. Is it for you? Or is it for someone else? Or is it for the approval of someone else? Is it a societal thing? Like, I really want you to know, like, be so rooted in your reasons for wanting to change your body shape and size for whatever that might look like. Be so, so strong about that and feel confident about that enough for you could verbalize it to yourself and you can verbalize it to your practitioner who's going to help you get there. Yeah. Knowing your purpose is a big thing, regardless of the aspect mm-hmm. of life we're looking at, right? Yeah. That's kind of the thing that we're built right. on. On this note, though, because I sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, I want to give these people more resources, or I see this interfering with the success of our work. I recently binge bought many resources on Amazon because I wanted to look through some different books because I would ask people who I felt like were more in this space, more in the body confidence space. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, what are you recommending to clients? And Mm -hmm. I have some of those books and I haven't like loved them. So I bought a bunch by, I think her name is Louise Hay. I think she's been around forever and ever and ever, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know if you know who this is. She's got like books on, I actually opened one yesterday. There's like a 21 day guide where I wish I had it in front of me. I don't, but it's like, 
exactly these. Like literally, when you read the index, you would say, this is amazing. So every day in 21 days, it's like self-love, the way you talk to yourself, et cetera. And actually, you stand in front of them. I love that. Yeah. So I needed to get resources from like different types of practitioners. So anyway, mm-hmm. testing them out, uh, looking through yeah. all the books, checking them out. But we were talking about people looking at books and resources. Are there any that you direct them to? You know, it's individual. I know that sounds like a really candid answer, but like when it comes to someone's body image issues or body acceptance issues, like it might come out like binging or self sabotage or, you know, it comes out in different restriction or like wanting to control more. So when we look at that effect, I might direct them to different resources. So, you know, one resource I think is pretty great across the board is a book called Chemistry of Calm. Because I do think that some of our eating issues can come back to anxiety in some way. And Chemistry of Calm, and there's also a book called Chemistry of Joy. It's for my like questioners, my achievers, my type threes and my type ones and the Enneagram. They love to know why they're feeling this way. And so this book really goes into the brain chemistry and the biochemistry of why you're feeling this way and how to like kind of rework it. And there's a workbook attached to it. So I think people love to be able to like have some homework and like work on this kind of stuff. So chemistry of calm is a big one. I think I find myself referring a lot to brain over binge, which again, it's like it's tailored to the person who's having these issues, like maybe restriction and binging because there have some psychological issues around like, you know, how they feel about themselves and the way they want to go about changing their nutrition and changing their exercise. So Again, it's individualized, but I myself is still collecting resources just like you. So it's great to hear you know, about books that are working for you too. I also loved hearing <laughs> what you have because I, uh, as an Enneagram 3, I love to know the science of why people are doing yeah. that. So I'll be picking right. that one up right after yeah. this. <laughs> and I also appreciated you saying, giving some tangible feelings of what does this look like? It's not just like a mental like, oh, I don't like the way my body looks. It's also can be binging. It can be restriction. It can be some of the other things you described. And you mentioned it being a significant thing. I've come down to like, this could be something that you've never considered very strong. So I'll be personal. And I'll give my personal example, because it comes out in a few ways in my life. And once like I realized it, I realized, okay, I got to work through that. I'm a questioner and a kind of a little bit rebellious sometimes, probably partially you know, innate, but also partially, like, I remember my parents saying like, well, you can't go do this until you're this age. And you can't go do this. And it felt like at that time, I became more about because I'm like, I'm like a really good kid. <laughs> so, so I would like to be able to go do these things. And it feels like I had to be more rebellious than I wanted to be. And sometimes, like, if someone tells them, let's restrict this, like, that's when they'll go and like, binge on the weekend, like restrict, restrict, restrict all week, and then binge on the weekend. Like, it may be something quote unquote simple. I don't know if that's simple, mm-hmm. really, right? But it's like, okay, so like just totally what seems non-related to even food, because this had no relationship to food in my life. And I'm not saying that Mm-mm. that's the habit, but like, it's possible it could be something simple-ish, not necessarily yeah. simple, but something like that, right? That's not like... Most often, I would say like food behavior issues that would be considered not normal or problematic or really rooted in something else, like you said. So... It's rarely simply just about food in a silo of food, just like all the practitioners that work in eating disorders would say the same thing. It's like, yes, we use food to like help heal these people, but like they're spending a lot of time, you know, working out control issues, anxiety issues, and you know, that sort of thing, like with a psychologist. Right. 
Totally. Mm-hmm. So we'll get back to our lane a little bit because yeah. people want <laughs> right, to know, not- people right. do want to know, like, what are some other ways that I can help improve this? Like, what are some other tangible steps? So what does it mean to eat in a way that's loving to your body? What is that? What do you perceive that that looks like? I would perceive as a practitioner, I think this looks like whole real foods more often than refined processed packaged foods. Like as a whole, we know that having more nutrient dense, like foods that come in their more natural form are going to be better for our bodies. So we think in this terms of nourishing and not restricting. So, you know, foods that make us feel really good on a regular basis. So we're avoiding foods that make us feel digestively problematic or like that cause us skin issues or cause you know, gas and bloating, constipation, diarrhea, like that's our body giving us immediate and direct feedback that this food isn't great for us. And it would be amazing to honor those signs and signals by eating the foods that don't cause those issues. So I'd say that, like I said, the whole real food sort of spectrum of things, foods that feel nourishing, foods that feel good, foods that make us feel energized versus sluggish and poor energy, or maybe like foods that make us feel like we can get up and go to the gym or we can perform our best at the gym versus the foods that might make us feel like totally run down or just like don't have that go switch or something like that in the gym. Mm -hmm. Those are good points. So that's how to what it looks like to eat in a way that's loving. I know you work with a lot of athletes. I feel like you see a lot of scenarios around exercise, but exercise Mm -hmm. affects everyone. So like, what does it Mm -hmm. mean to move in a way that also means I'm doing this in a loving way for my body? I would say that it's probably challenging. It's challenging, but not punitive. So when we start talking about like working out to burn calories or like calories in calories out and like, you know, we see classes even that are titled body blast or ab shred or like burn or like those kinds of words, you know, on an ongoing basis, I think they can have a pretty negative effect on us, especially when we're thinking about changing our body you know, we don't want to be gravitating towards classes and types of exercise that are so stressful and intense, because that is not loving your body through change, like change is going to take a long, long time. So we want to find exercise patterns that are challenging, that are adaptive, that are have a lot of variety and variability, you know, because again, like we're going to be doing this for a long period of time, if we're always focusing on how many calories can you burn? How much pain can I inflict? how much sweat can I drip? Like how sore am I after a workout? Like that would be the wrong mindset to have when it came to exercise and and trying to change your body. Kind of like doing the same type of thing that's exhausting seven days a week. I love these like real life examples. (laughs) So what are some of those? You know, it would look like you're unable to take a rest day. Like it feels uncomfortable for you to take a rest day or if a coach or program is requiring you to be working out six or seven days a week in order to see results, like that is not loving your body. Rest days, giving your body proper time to recover, really listening to your body to say like, I need a day off or I need to go less intense today. I need to change of the modality of my exercise today because I'm just not feeling it. That is loving your body and appreciating your body through exercise and not coming at it in a punitive way. And from the science way, right? Like for also from, hey, by the way, I really like you to know like why this matters. Over-exercising in a very significant way does compromise, just like stress does, by the way, like having chronic high stress without break as well, because the exercise is a form of stress, right? (laughs) Generally good if we're doing it like in a varied way, right? And listening to our body. But if it's excessive or like sometimes the way athletes sometimes have to train, right? That can Mm -hmm. be really hard on our secretory IgA, which is our frontline defenses for our immune system. So those are the things that keep that suppressed, even if you're doing everything else, that phrase, I'm doing everything else to make this right, 
these are the things that are going to continue to suppress it. So when that gets suppressed, then you can have a cascade of things that start to crop up when your immune system is suppressed. So it's a problem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I probably should have started with this, Emily, but I'm sure you also have, because we're all working through our relationship for loving ourselves. Like sometimes we don't even know that it can be better until we're like, oh, we're in a better place. So what's kind of been your personal experience or personal example of how you wanted to change, but still loved your body? Well, I guess I would say a couple years back, I was experiencing, you know, some things caught my attention. My body was giving me some signs and signals that things were not right. You know, in particular, my hormones seemed a little off. My periods were getting really long in cycle and I was having a lot of symptoms associated with it. I was having bandwidth issues. I noticed that I was more weepy than normal, you know, stuff was off. So I had to take a hard look at my habits and I like to liken it. You know, I do this for my clients too. We know that stress, our body can handle a lot of stress. It can handle stress from, you know, overwork, being overworked or handling like exercising too much, or maybe even under eating as a stressor. But when we put all those bricks or those individual stressors together and throw them on our back in a sack, it can feel like a huge heavy load. And for my body in particular, whatever I was doing was too much of a heavy load. So I had to pick apart those bricks one by one, those stressors one by one and try to lighten that load. And for me, what that looked like is, you know, eating more and eating differently, eating a very pared down foods list in order to kind of really work on some inflammation and some gut health issues. I had to exercise less and exercise differently, which was uncomfortable for me because I'm a CrossFit athlete and I love to work out hard and I love to be around people. I love the blasting music and the heavy weights. But like, you know, for that moment or that time period, it was important for me to scale back on that exercise and to do more yoga and stretching and walking and stuff like that. Um, I had to put up really strict boundaries on my work and start work later and work earlier and put stricter, you know, kind of boundaries on my personal relationships, my relationships with clients. And that all that wasn't super fun. It wasn't great for those nine to 12 months. But in the end of the day, I knew that if I put the time in there, if I loved myself through that change, I would be better on the other side to have that years and years or decades and decades of active time and eating differently and back to my maybe more normal eating pattern and that sort of thing. So my body could withhand, would, you know, handle stress better in the future if I did that work then. I appreciate you putting a realistic time frame on that because it doesn't always have to be super intense for that long, right? But like it might be intense for a while, but you're still going to continue to reap the benefits and continue to see little improvements over months if you're on the right track. And I think that's important because I remember that from my own healing journey as well. Like largely it's resolved in XYZ amount of months, but for full, like, wow, I'm so much better and not having issues with this or reacting to that. It does take, you know, almost like it's not crazy to think like I'm going to spend this year working on myself. And as you said, it sucks. It really sounds like, oh, this is not fun. And so we want to ignore it as long as possible <laughs> or not admit. Because the, the other thing I heard you say was that the things that sometimes you were experiencing, you knew about those because you were in tune with your body, like very in tune with your mm-hmm. body. They weren't totally diagnosable symptoms. So sometimes when people don't get a diagnosis, they're like, well, I guess this is how I am, or I guess this is normal. And mm-hmm. that's an unfortunate place for people to feel because they feel like they don't feel quite right, but they don't really want to accept that new normal. So anyway, my point is, again, that I appreciate you speaking to, it sucks for a while, but the alternative is that it's a short-term pain for a long-term gain. And having those boundaries and the restrictions early on give you the freedom to be 
more awesome and do like return to the life you love a little bit later. So Mm -hmm. you have the personal experience, which often puts you in the shoes of your clients and allows you to really see what it's like for them. So how do you see this playing out in your clients' lives? You know, I think when clients find me, which I'm very fortunate that, you know, whatever I put out on Instagram or on my website is really speaking to my methodology. It's that we're not going to take a restrictive route and we're not going to take a deprivation route. You are going to eat more probably. You're going to exercise differently in order to see the change you want to see in your body. So when clients turn to me, it's like usually after sometimes decades of deprivation. So under eating, under fueling, ignoring signs and signals their body is giving them that they need to do things differently. So they come to me oftentimes with metabolic and hormone problems as a result of restriction because they are trying to change their body, but they're just doing it in that self-hate way versus that self-love way. So I'm teaching them how to eat enough, probably more, usually more, so that we can see you know, their metabolism improve and their hormones improve. And so their body feels safe enough to lose extra body fat if that's possible, or they can put their body can put energy towards building muscle because you know under eating you have a limited ability to even change your body composition because there's just not enough calories to do those things. So that's when we can see the changes in body shape and size in the way that they're proud of, but they're doing it in the right way. Uh, important for you to pull back the curtains there because on the outside it looks like oh it's just this. And on the inside, there's many layers as usual. Aren't we all an onion? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Aren't we all an onion? <laughs> so sure. So Emily, have we covered, do you feel like we've done justice to wanting to change, but still loving your body? We've talked about what that looks in exercise, what that looks in food. We talked about how it's okay to have goals related to vanity, what the talk is, whether we're looking at self-love, self-hate, and just in general, what this means. Anything else that I forgot to add, or if not, if someone's like, oh my gosh, I really needed to hear this today. What's your gut reaction or your gut message for them? I think we did cover everything, Krista. I think what I would leave listeners with is that just to evaluate your intentions behind your nutrition, your exercise routine, especially if your goal is to change your body shape and size. So really, really look at what you're doing. Is it strict? Is it limited? Is it cutting food groups or cutting entire macronutrients? Can you see yourself doing it forever? Because if not, then it might need a little bit of tweaking. And so if that's you, if you're, you know, like, you're like, hey, I think I might be coming at this with the wrong angle. And I want to do some work on it. Like we said before, it probably takes looking at the bigger picture, looking at podcasts and books and journaling and possibly therapy for you to unpack, unpack what's like going on underneath the surface. But then there are a lot of tangible things you can do from a nutrition and exercise standpoint, in order to shift away from punitive and restrictive to loving your body and like moving in a direction that appreciates your body and is healthy for your metabolism hormones. And I would say my approach, you know, from coming from as a macro based dietitian, I am wanting people to eat enough. And I think that enough is so elusive for people because they're used to seeing 1200 calorie diets, this magic number, or this like very clean eating pattern, this yes or no foods list that doesn't teach people how to eat enough. (laughs) So I use a macros based approach, which means that you're essentially eating enough protein, enough carbs and enough fat to get you to the body shape and size that you want to be and keep your hormones and metabolism healthy. So a lot of resources can be found on my website, emilyfieldrd.com. 
But I also think that we should link people to my DIY macros guide, which is a worksheet to help you find your perfect macros. So the macros, the calories and the macronutrients that are going to help you eat to look, feel and perform your best, not feel restricted and hangry. And like, I can't eat XYZ, or I can't go out to eat, I have to eat on plan. Like that's not sustainable. And that's not loving your body. Yeah, totally. So you told us where we can find you at emilyfieldrd.com. You told us about your guide. And we're going to talk more about the eating enough in a future episode of Emily. So stay tuned. But if you need more right now, she was on episode 43 called Lose Weight Without Hunger on the Less Stress Life podcast. Emily, mm-hmm. it's a pleasure as always to have you. You are truly one of my favorites. And thank oh. you so much for coming on. I can't wait to chat again. Thanks so much. Have a good one. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 